Okay, so this is, this is lecture eight, albeit with um, uh, regard to our uh, discussion here just moments ago, which lasted a little longer than I expected. Uh, this will be a little abbreviated, but that's okay. We're not in a hurry. I'm going to begin with um, a literary reference to Hamlet, written by Mr. William Shakespeare. And I, 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 I find uh, these two quotes from Hamlet, um, where Shakespeare's putting words in his mouth, uh, very interesting. Uh, the, the, these, these two um, um, uh, s- statements describe the condition of man. This is from scene two, act two, scene two. Hamlet, the uh, prince of Denmark, says, What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculty! in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. What a high, exalted view of mankind. Not but a little while later in the play, Act 3, Scene 1, the, um, um, the Prince of Denmark is speaking to his beloved Ophelia. And he says this, Get thee to a nunnery. Why wouldst thou be a breeder of sinners? I am myself indifferent, honest, but yet I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me. I am very proud, revengeful, ambitious, with more offenses at my back than I have thoughts to put them in, imaginations to give them shape, or time to act them in. What should such fellows as I do, crawling between earth and heaven? We are errant knaves, All. Believe none of us. Go thy ways to a nunnery. What what Hamlet is saying to his, his beloved is, I don't want you to birth any more sinners. Because that's all we are, is sinners. Now, Hamlet says this in the context of his father, king of Denmark, having been murdered by his brother, and then his brother takes Hamlet's mom, marries her, all for the crown. That's all this was about, is his uncle wanted the crown. And, 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 and Hamlet is, is, is livid. He is beyond just angry. He is revengeful. All of his thought is about getting even with his uncle who killed his dad 
stole his mom. I find that the, the shift here between the, the first statement, as Shakespeare put words into Hamlet's mouth about the glories and the wonders of man, I find that interesting in contrast to um, Hamlet's words to his beloved Ophelia, where he understands the true nature of mankind. He, he, he understood his own heart. Now, when God created mankind, he said it was very good. Hamlet, Act 2, Scene 2. But then there was the fall that took place. Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. There's a dramatic shift in who we are as human beings. So let me, let me, let me put this in, in, in context. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the doctrine of anthropology in the greater context of the doctrine of soteriology. Well, let me define all that. Um, we're we're going we're to talk about the nature of man, that's the doctrine of anthropology, in the context of soteriology, Jesus is our soter, Greek word meaning savior. So we're talking about the doctrine of salvation, um, but we're going to specifically focus on the character of mankind, specifically in his fallen condition. So, so after God created mankind, and God said, this is very good. I like what, what, what we got here. But then there's the fall of mankind. And it was because of the fall that we need a Savior. So we're going to look at, look at mankind, men and women, Boys and girls, generically, mankind, uh, were in the context of, of, of the fall and our need for salvation. So we, we, talk, we started talking about God being sovereign. He is the one who is large and in charge. He is the author of salvation. We talked about the, the work monergism, meaning that God is the one who initiates salvation, and he is the one who completes salvation. We use the the theological concepts of justification and glorification to subsume those two ideas of God's monergistic work. It's in the middle that we have um, that synergistic work, meaning that, that we work together, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's what the area we, we call our sanctification, that aspect of our salvation. Uh, but we're not talking about the, our sanctification. Neither are we talking about glorification. We're talking about how does this saving relationship with God begin our justification. And more specifically, we're asking, is God the one who brings us about, or does man have any role, any role at all, in this, um, this aspect of our salvation? Now, last time we, um, we were together, we we talked about the doctrine of original sin. And that doctrine says, uh, or does not refer to the first sin of 
Adam and Eve, but it refers to the effects of that first sin. We spend a good bit of time in Romans chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul makes it clear that by God's sovereign decree, the effects of Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God, go their own way, do their own thing, um, the effects of their sin were imputed to mankind. So um, every person who, is, uh, who has ever been born, um, every, and all, each of those people is a, it, it comes from Adam and Eve, each one is born, is conceived with original sin. We could say it in these ways, in, in these words. We um, are, are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's part of our nature, our fallen nature. This is, this is all a description of our, uh, our original sin. Now, as we talked about Pelagius um, in, in, the, in the past, in his uh, disputations with Augustine, uh, Pelagius said, no, um, he denied original sin, and said, no, man is not um, uh, in, in, in trouble when he's born. Sin is not, does not have lingering effects. A person is born innocent. And they get to choose whether they're going to obey God or not obey God. Well, if that were the case, we would, we would expect to see a percentage of people choosing to do what is good because uh, that's going to benefit them and uh, the people around them. Um, but we each know our own heart and we have a pretty good idea of the hearts of the people, specifically in our family and our friends that are closest to us. And the media exposes all kinds of details regarding other people's hearts. And we say that, that um, intellectually, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. We can't see examples where people really are good. No, we're, that's, not, that's not our case at all. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the doctrine of original sin says that we, we do not possess the ability to come to the Lord by ourselves. We can't contribute anything to our life when all we have is death. I think about it this way. Um, um, we have the ability to give spiritual life to ourselves just as much as we have <clears throat> the ability to give physical life to ourselves. Think about that for a minute. Did you have any... Choice in the matter when you would be born, where you would be born. Did you have a, 
any option to choose your parents or the people who live next door, kind of car your parents drove, you home from the hospital. No, we, we, had, we, had, no, we had no options there. Well, well, similarly, in a spiritual sense, we don't have um, the ability to do anything about our spiritual condition. We're, we're, um, we're in bondage because of original sin. Um, so this, this particular doctrine, rightly understood, teaches us to despair of any and all hope of rescuing ourselves. God's gospel, God himself, is, is our only hope, only hope. Okay, well, let, let, me, let me restate the problem. Next uh, bullet point on your, major bullet point in your notes. Um, I, I want you to listen to this quote carefully and tell me um, if, if you, you would agree to this um, or, or would, would, would Rob say this is, uh, this is okay? <clears throat> All right. Here, 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 here it is. That man... I'm not reading from anything on your notes. That man has not saving grace of himself, nor of the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can of and by himself neither think, will, nor do anything that is truly good, such as saving faith eminently is, but that it is needful that he be born again of God in Christ through his Holy Spirit and renewed in understanding, inclination, or will, and all his powers in order that he might rightly understand, think, will, and affect what is truly good, according to the word of Christ, John uh, 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. Let me read that again. That man has not saving grace of himself, nor of the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, uh, can of and by himself neither think, will, nor do anything that is truly good, such as saving faith eminently is. But that it is needful that he be born again of God in Christ through his Holy Spirit and renewed in understanding, inclination, or will, and all his powers, in order that he might be rightly understand, that he might rightly understand, think, will, and affect what is truly good, according to the word of Christ, John fifteen five. Without me, you can do nothing. Is 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 that a statement that sounds biblically sound? Yeah, and I would say yeah too. You know who wrote that? You remember back when we were talking about uh, kind of a historical overview, and there was a guy named James Arminius, who's part of the uh, um, the, um, uh, the the Dutch Reformed Church in Holland. Uh, he, he was he was the one after whose name we get Arminianism. Uh, James Arminius was was uh, that one who um, who said, uh, you know, I. 
I, I just don't agree with what the reformers taught. And he, he, he was poking at, at Wesley, uh, not Wesley, uh, at Luther, at Calvin, at Zwingli, at uh, Beza. At, there's all kinds of guys, that the, you know, the reformers. He, he was just saying, nope, 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 not, not going along with what they're saying. Well, he, um, he died in good standing with uh, the, uh, um, uh, the uh, um, Dutch Reformed Church. Um, but that was because they didn't really understand what he was saying. It was a year after his death in 1610 that um, his followers, 42 pastors in specifically, came forward and said, well, these are our protests against the the reform teaching as it had kind of taken on a, a shape and a, a body, uh, the hell that the um, the um, um, Belgic Confession was had been had been written. That was one of the things that these guys were protesting. Well, they're they're called the Remonstrants or the protesters, um, and th- this is one of their statements. What, 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 what's, what was wrong with, with, with that? I mean, this is, this is what we would affirm. Well, I, I made mention earlier in my opening comments uh, about, about John Wesley. Here's his quote. Adam, before his fall, had such freedom of will that he could choose good or evil, but since the fall... No child of man has a neutral power to choose anything that is truly good, such as the freedom of the will, free only to do evil, to wander further and further away from the living God. This is the Armenian position. This is the, this is the position of the remonstrance. I don't have a problem with that. I agree with him. And this is where John MacArthur says uh, John Wesley was really just a messed up Calvinist. He understood the problem. It was the solution where there's a difference of opinion here. But looking at, at, um, at the scriptures, the remonstrance, um, uh, including Wesley, um, said... Um, Man is, uh, is, is in, a, in a serious uh, serious state. There, there, is, there is trouble right here in River City. And man is dead. Spiritually dead. Okay, so um, let's see here. Let's, um, I'm going to pass around some, some verses for you. To, to read. Now, um, I've, I've been told that this microphone doesn't pick up women's voices well. Uh, so, uh, ladies, those of you that will be reading, um, please uh, speak maybe a little bit louder than you think is necessary. All right. Um, Bob, I'm going to give you two verses. Okay? Uh, Genesis 6, 5... And Genesis eight twenty one. 
Uh, Janet, uh, Psalm 58, 3. Wendy, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. Muriel, Jeremiah 17, 9. Julie, Mark 7, 21 to 23. Okay, we'll start there. Okay, so, so we're, we're asking a question. What does the Bible say about mankind? We're studying anthropology in the context of our soteriology. Well, what, what, what does the Bible say about man, generically? And this is all after the fall, okay? <clears throat> so what do, you, what do you got, Bob? Okay, Genesis 6.5. 6.5, mm-hmm. The Lord saw that the weaknesses of man was great on earth, on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, okay. The intents of his heart, the intentions, were only evil continuously. All right, what does chapter 8 say? Um, the Lord smelled the soothing of wrong. <clears throat> the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on the account of man, Okay. His intentions are wicked <laughs> from the beginning. Janet, what do you got? Psalm 58. Psalm 58 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Each who speaks lies go astray from birth. Mm, okay. Estranged from the womb. Estranged from whom? No, God. <laughs> okay, Wendy, what you got? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. Uh, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one state for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Okay. Not a good picture of mankind. Mario, what you got? Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay. Some translations translate that desperately wicked. Mm-hmm. Julie, what do you got? Mark seven twenty-one through twenty-three. Mm-hmm. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a yucky situation here. Uh, but this is, this is we, we know this personally. If we're honest, we we understand our our hearts. We know what's we know what's really going on. Okay, well, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna save um, some of the other uh, passages that we'll look at for, uh, for 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 next time. Let me um, let me.
close this with putting, putting a label on what we're talking about. <clears throat> um, the, the remonstrants, the protesters of reformed thinking had, had five problems. Five, and, they, and they wrote these down. You can, you can find them online. I found them on two different websites, but, but there, are, there, are, there are plenteous out there. And they, they said, okay, here's, here's, here's five things that we have problems with. It was in response to that that we come up with the five points of Calvinism. So Calvinism was, was, was not defined by these five points. These, these five points um, were responses to the protesters. They had five articles. Okay, we'll, we'll give you five responses. Well, the first one, dealing with the nature of mankind, it was actually the third, Article 3 of the Remonstrance. Um, but uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Synod of Dort in 1618 and 1619 came up with this, um, uh, these, this response. And they, 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 they created a little acronym here, TULIP. Uh, and and each, each one was a response to the, the protesters. And these stand for, I won't take the time right now to, to write them out, total depravity, unlimited, um, uh, un, unlimit, or unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Those are the five. We'll spend some time talking about, about each of these because this, this describes our, our, our salvation. But we, we are in the, the, the first response. Again, the Remonstrance Article 3, the, the first response deal, deals with total gravity. We, we might also use the, the phrase radical corruption. Or we also might use the phrase um, um, moral inability. We're, 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 we're looking to articulate what does the scripture teach about mankind. We read some scriptures, uh, there are many others that describe the same thing. Fallen man, post-fall, fallen man is in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a spiritually um, desperate place. We are, we are spiritually dead, unable to respond. We, we have a moral inability to respond to the things of God. Um, um, and this, this idea of total depravity can be misunderstood uh, as, as a person being utterly depraved. And we're not, they don't, they don't mean that. What they, what they mean is, is the, 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 the root of our being is corrupt. So my, my thinking is corrupt, my emotions are corrupt, uh, my, 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 my body doesn't work like it ought to. It, it has the elements of corruption in it. 
and we we could go around the room and, and talk about all the, the the things that our our, our bodies don't do anymore, or don't work like that <laughs> the way they used to anymore. <clears throat> uh, every, everything in my in my even my will is affected by uh, by by sin. I am I am radically corrupt. Everything has been stained with sin in my my life. That's that's what we're we're we're, we're trying to articulate. What does the scriptures say? About mankind, and that's that's uh, that's that's a, a summation. Okay, we're um, about out of time, and we're not done with with what we got here, but we will pick it up um, next Lord's Day. <laughs>